Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. The holidays are approaching, so I thought we would talk about animals and religion for the majority of this hour. Now, later in the show, we're going to speak with veterinary Dr. Robert Reed about keeping your pets safe during the holiday season. But first, I want to replay for you an interview I conducted about five years ago with Frank Hoffman, who is founder of this fantastic organization called all-creatures.org. Frank is extremely knowledgeable about all religions, as well as being an animal advocate, so I think you're going to find our discussion fascinating. I start out here with my introductory remarks about religion and animal welfare, and I bring up the question about moral hypocrisy. And specifically, is religion hypocritical when it comes to animal welfare? Or is it clear in the Bible what God's intentions are in terms of the way we treat animals? And is it therefore the religious people who choose to live a moral hypocrisy. Then I begin my discussion with Frank Hoffman. He explains that the problem with religion is that it does not consider animals to be living souls like the Bible teaches us. And a big point he makes is that we fail to understand God's intention when it comes to animal welfare. And then he goes on to say that we're not living the way we're called to live. And finally, we discuss how the current thinking about the role of animals in our society is based on secular thinking and not religion. So I'm going to play this first part of a three-part interview for you now. When it comes to animal welfare, our world is full of contradictions. The majority of us, probably you too, are constantly contradicting ourselves. I mean, think about it. You have the hunter who loves and cherishes his hunting dogs, yet can go out and torment and kill innocent animals. You have the woman who loves her little snowball dog, yet enjoys to show off her mink coat to her friends. Or how about the dog breeders that say they are animal lovers, but can continue to reproduce dogs knowing very well that every dog they create takes away an opportunity for a home and a life of a shelter dog. Or the parents who teach their child to have sympathy and compassion for the hurt kitty cat on the side of the road, yet will take their child to watch animals be exploited and tortured at the circus. We live and breathe a moral hypocrisy. And this is the question. Do religions and leaders of religious traditions and people of faith also live a moral hypocrisy? Are there inconsistencies in religion's definition of morality towards animals? Like we should have compassion for animals, yet it's okay to slaughter them and eat them? Or is there a double standard here? We can love some animals like dogs and cats and not love some animals like cows and chickens. Is this consistent? Is this a logical contradiction? I'm not a religious person. However, I, I do know one of the purposes of religion is that it can play a big part in spreading the idea of morality. But is religion also hypocritical when it comes to animal welfare? Or is it quite clear in the Bible what God's intentions were and are in terms of the way we treat animals? And it's really the religious people who choose to live a moral hypocrisy. Now, why don't we put religion aside for a minute and look at this moral hypocrisy issue from a secular point of view? Why do we feel so uncomfortable watching an animal get slaughtered alive 
but we really don't feel guilt or remorse when we eat meat or wear fur. You know, there's a professor of philosophy by the name of Charles R. Nagel, and he stated, ask the experimenters why they experiment on animals. And the answer is, because the animals are like us. Ask the experimenters why it's morally okay to experiment on animals. And the answer is, because the animals are not like us. Animal experimentation rests on logical contradiction. So in both religion and secular debates on the place for animals in our society and their treatment, there are contradictions and there's inconsistencies. Did God create animals and put them under our command? Does God give mankind dominion over animals? Do we have total control over their fate? And can we choose whether to love them or eat them? Or did God intend for us to be responsible for animals, protecting them from cruelty and exploitation? And we have a religious duty, if you're a religious person, to care for and protect animals. With us here today to speak about this issue of religion and dominion versus compassion for animals is Frank Hoffman, founder of All Creatures. Welcome, Frank. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Laurie. Glad to be here. Frank, Am I correct in my impression that organized religion, Judeo-Christian faith specifically, are simply not engaged in the discussion of animal welfare? A few are, but for the vast majority, no. And there's a tremendous indifference uh, that is existing throughout, in fact, I think it's throughout all of world religions, not just Judeo-Christian. Animals seem to be somewhere off in Never Never Land. Uh, they don't consider them as living souls like the Bible teaches us they are. Every single animal and humans were created as living souls, uh, the Hebrew nefesh hayah. And uh, if they are living souls as we are, then whatever happens to humans spiritually happens to the animals because we're the same. Mm-hmm. And religion denies that for the most part. Some religions accept that, but others don't. A Geo-Christian sort of holds back on it, and yet the Bible describes animals in heaven, too. So th- there seems to be this dichotomy, inconsistency, whatever it is you want to call it. Why should organized religion be interested in the lives of animals? One might think, Frank, that things that are important in religious life just do not intersect much with the animal concerns. That's not true. They absolutely do intersect. The big problem is that we fail to understand God's intent. If we look at the beginning of the Bible, and I'm going to talk mostly from a Judeo-Christian standpoint. If we look at the beginning of the Bible, there is this beautiful paradise created called Eden. And within Eden, there is no death, there's no suffering, until the point of Adam and Eve disobeying God. And when that occurs, we end up with the fall. And we have the sin and other things coming into this world. Now, if we take and stop there for a minute, and we go to the end of the Bible in the Christian religion, we have the book of Revelation, which tells us near the end of the book that there's no death or suffering or pain or mourning in heaven. So we're, we're sitting here saying that's God's intent. Because we see it in the beginning and the end. God even says, I'm Alpha and Omega. If we look in the middle of the Bible, in Isaiah's prophecy, we see this peaceable kingdom being described. And that peaceable kingdom says that all humans and animals will live together and they will not hurt or destroy. And all my holy mountain 
For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, turn that statement around a little bit, and it says that the problem or the reason that we don't have this peace on earth is because we lack the knowledge of God. And I think that's the major problem with religion, that we lack this spiritual knowledge of God's intent. And when Jesus came, he says, among other things, he, in, in the uh, Beatitudes, which, by the way, tells us, uh, you, you, people say, bless me, and yet they don't do the things that the Beatitudes tells us to do if we want to be blessed by God. But in one of those, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. They shall be considered the sons of God, it says, but it, it means children of God. If we then go a little bit further in that same chapter, chapter 5 of Matthew, it says, God says to us, or Jesus says to us, he says, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, we just found out that in heaven there was no death, no suffering. And then Jesus teaches us to pray, and he says, thy kingdom come, this way you're supposed to pray, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, let's just stay with that second part of that, that we are to pray for God's heavenly will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that means if we're praying for it, then we should do everything in our power to eliminate death on earth. It's quite simple to me. Mm -hmm. I don't see any disconnect there. And yet, that's where the disconnect occurs. They say, well, I can't apply to animals. Uh, and they go to Aristotle, and they go to Descartes, and they go to everything outside of Christ and God and the Holy Spirit, and they create this, this hijacked religion based on cruelty and suffering, which it's not. It's not supposed to be. Frank, how much of the current thinking about the role of animals in our society is based on ancient writings and beliefs? Uh, I would say all of it. All of it. it. It's based upon secular thinking, not, not religious, but right. secular. In the beginning... There were, you know, we started off as vegans, eating no animal products whatsoever. We have, in the beginning of Christianity, uh, a great number of the Jewish Christians were vegan, or at least vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And, in, in fact, that caused a lot of dissension where, when Paul started to speak to the Gentiles, because what he did there was he told them not to pay any attention to the dietary laws. What you're, we're looking at is saving your souls, and they were sacrificing to idols, sacrificing animals to idols. And he said, there's no such thing as an idol. You know, it's just a made-up made God. And, and he was saying, don't worry about it. I, I want you to start recognizing who God is. Not saying that it's okay to eat meat, though some people misinterpret that. But one thing Paul did say, and this is important to come back to what we were just talking about before. Because what he says in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, he says that these sons and daughters of God, these children of God, who are the peacemakers, will also free the whole of creation from the corruption for which it's been subjected today. In other words, it's moaning and groaning and suffering until the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. So we're back to the same point that we're not living the way we're called to live. Don't go away. More with my interview with Frank Hoffman right after the break. 
For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. You're listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for serious talk about animals. Now in its eighth year, Animals Today covers all animal-related topics and issues worldwide with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. Just visit aianimals.org and click support us. And thanks for listening. Okay, we're speaking with Frank Hoffman with all-creatures.org. And in the second part of our three-part discussion, we talk about the concept of dominion. And specifically, I ask Frank if the Bible states that we humans are free to do whatever we want to the animals. Frank will make the argument that the Bible clearly states dominion is stewardship to care for God's creation. And it's our job to protect creation and stop any suffering that comes upon the animals. And furthermore, we should all be vegetarian. And that indeed was God's intention because of the cruelty inherent in factory farming. Finally, we talk about children and how we are hardening the hearts of our children and leading them astray. Take a listen. Frank, talk about then the concept of dominion. God tells Adam and Eve to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Frank, doesn't that mean that man is free to do what he wants with the animals? No, absolutely not, because you can't stop there. You even have to go to the, just not to the end of the, of the chapter, but you have to go uh, to the end of the, of the paragraph. Mm-hmm. And if you read on a little bit, he says that, you know, it's up through verse 31, he says that, Every animal and every human shall eat plants. There's no reference to eating any other living being. And then he looks back upon everything that he had made, including giving dominion to humans and this vegan diet, and he says it's very good. So when you look at that, you cannot accept the fact or the interpretation that Dominion is anything other than stewardship, to care for my creation. Right. And that's what it means. It, it means to stop the suffering. You're to stand in the gap and protect creation from any force of evil that comes upon it. Right. So the concept of dominion is not really domination over, but really stewardship with. That's correct. And Frank, frequently one hears, oh, God created the animals for us to eat. Yeah, how, yeah. How if God didn't intend to us to eat meat, he wouldn't have made animals out of meat. You know, that, that's, you know, that's right. facetious. Uh, it's those kind of things are trying to justify mm-hmm. the evil. God gave us a concession. 
he gave evil human beings a concession. And if somebody doesn't believe that he gave evil human beings a concession, then all they have to do is look at the end of the flood in chapter 8 of, of Genesis, where Noah makes a sacrifice. And while God accepts his sin offering, he says, but man is evil from his youth. And he's saying, because you killed the animals, because you didn't accept my grace, I, I can't do anymore. I'm not going to destroy the earth again. I'm just going to let you live in your evil ways. And he gives a concession for them to eat meat. A concession, not his order, not his law. So it's a concession. People are misinterpreting his wishes there. That's correct. And, and one other thing he did, he took away the covenant relationship because he says from now on animals will have the fear of you, which means prior to this time they didn't have a fear of man. So we were looking at this, and, and the next part says, you shall not eat an animal with its blood, with its life. You know, and, and you look at a piece of meat, there's this red fluid that flows out. People try to eat, so, but some of that's red, red blood cells. So there is some blood left in the meat. You can't get it all out. And no matter whether, you know, they say kosher law, you, you salt the meat, you do this, you do that, it doesn't make any difference. There's still some blood left in and if we look, every single chronic disease that we have in this world today, all the viral infections have an origin in animal agriculture or in eating animals. Frank, Jesus said that God feeds the birds of the air and does not forget the sparrows. Does that imply that people should behave in a certain way towards the animals? We should be doing the same thing. Right. But we have to understand in the context it's given all the time. Mm -hmm. You have to look at that. Um, but it doesn't just stop there. Yes, God supplies everything in his creation, and we're not supposed to take it away. How about the prophecy of Isaiah that at the end of time all creatures again will be vegetarian? Does that tell us something like we should be vegetarians now? Oh, absolutely. Right, and why? Because that is, in my opinion, that's what, what this is saying, is that that's part of having the knowledge of the Lord. Because we do not create any, any problems. We don't create any hardness of heart. Which, uh, going back to, you know, trying to tie this together a little bit from what you had asked before in our first session, uh, is that if we look at the source of the problem, and I believe the source of the problem is what we do to animals, and we start with our children when they're very young. And because the number of hunters are falling out, they're even trying to lower the hunting age in many states. And what we're looking at here is that we're hardening the hearts of our children. And the Bible teaches us, if we go back, and I'm going back to the Hebrew text, that it would be better for that person, and Jesus says the same thing, it would be better for that person who does something against these little ones that a millstone be hung around their neck and they be drowned in the depths of the sea because they're leading children astray. That's what we're doing in this country. We're hardening the hearts. If you take a look at most little children, they love these little plush animals. You know, they stroke the fur and they love, you know, an animal that is, you know, docile with one and they'll, they'll pet it and they'll, they just want to be near them. There's this sensitivity and then something begins to happen as they get a little older because they're being told to eat their meat. And sooner or later, they begin to realize that that's an animal. And some of them will rebel at that point against the teaching and 
don't want to eat animals anymore. They're told to drink their milk, and the cows suffer horribly. And the whole society we live in promotes it. You can't turn on television without them telling us how wonderful it is to eat the tortured remains of some animal. And we're coming up in, in a few days to Thanksgiving, and we're going to have the same thing where people are going to give thanks for the tortured remains of a once living, breathing, loving, caring bird. Makes no sense. Doesn't make sense at all. Don't go away. I conclude my discussion with Frank Hoffman right after the break. Major support for Animals Today Radio comes from International Society for Animal Rights. For decades, ISAR has been a world leader in the battle against dog and cat overpopulation and its moral, social, and economic costs. Please visit their website at www.isaronline.org. Hi, it's Dr. Lori from Animals Today Radio, and today's Animals Today fun facts are about octopuses. Did you know the oldest octopus fossil was from an animal that lived 296 million years ago? Octopuses have three hearts, one of which supplies blood to the organs, and the other two work to supply the gills. And their blood is a blue color, which transports oxygen better at cold temperatures and in low oxygen waters. And there are your Animals Today fun facts for today. Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe, from animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats. Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. I'm speaking here with Frank Hoffman with all-creatures.org. And in this last part of the interview, Frank makes the argument that everything we are doing is to try to justify the killing and eating of animals. And people are living in the concessions and not in the will of God. Frank goes on to explain how factory farming violates Christian principles and how you can help our animal friends. And then finally, I ask Frank what the Bible says about activities like sport hunting in which we take pleasure in the suffering of other living beings. Here you go. Now, if you try to make the argument, Frank, to an observant Jew that there is a biblical guidance from the Torah for being a vegetarian or not eating meat. They are going to respond that there's, there's a whole tradition of kosher practice with rules and important rituals and objects to use in the rituals, including the slaughter of animals for consumption. That's a lot to overcome unless the person is inclined to be a vegetarian or even considering the suffering of animals. Well, I think it's a little deeper than that. Let's go back to the child situation and living in the concessions rather than the will of God. It's not the will of God. They, they take that Isaiah prophecy, which you mentioned, and say, well, that's sometime in the future. 
Well, it's for the here and now as well, because that was God's intent. So everything they're doing is trying to justify the killing and eating of animals. And if, uh, uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, there was this video, it's undercover video of the kosher killing of animals. And it shows the just unbelievable, horrible way the animals are being killed. Yeah. And it nothing like what they're supposed to be. Right. And the rabbi that was there, the shack, was just turning his back on the suffering of the animals. Because his heart became as hard of heart. Yeah, and, and the Hebrew scriptures forbid inhumane slaughter or cruelty toward beasts of burden, and yet there's all this horrific cruelty the animals endure up until that instant the blade slits the animal's throat, which is killed in a kosher way. And, yeah, and there's, that's right. And there's this, the, the, the passage from Proverbs uh, where it says, the righteous man has regard for the life of his animal but the compassion of the wicked is cruel. And I think that's what you're referring to. So what we're saying is that what they're doing is really wicked. And if they knew what God's intentions were, would they still do it? Well, see, that's the point, but nobody's teaching it. That's right. So That's the big problem that we have. They're not teaching the difference. And this is one of the reasons I resigned as a pastor. I, I just couldn't do it anymore in the church because there were too many restrictions. So that's when we started our um, foundation and all-creatures.org, because uh, we've been doing this now for 11 years. And it's because we couldn't get the message out to a lot of different people. Probably in the last 10 years of my church ministry, maybe I had a chance to speak to a 1,000 different people. Today on the Internet, we'll talk to 15,000 in one day, maybe more, maybe 20. So, Frank, are, are there any mainstream physical churches or temples that teach lessons of compassion toward animals? There are a few. We have a few listed on our website, and I mean, they're few, and, and they're far between. Having compassion for animals versus domination over animals and various religious teachings, we are speaking with Frank Hoffman. Um, Frank, have you tried to get church leaders or Jewish leaders interested in animal welfare? Yes, I did. Uh, and I've been working on it for a number of years. Uh, we've been doing this for probably close to a quarter century. You're really going grassroots here to the faithful church members or temple members who respect and love animals, and, and you encourage them to influence their religious leaders, correct? That's correct. Let, and, and we're doing that all over the world. We have quite a following in Australia, New Zealand, England. Uh, it actually, almost it, the only place we don't have any direct contact is in Antarctica. Everything, you know, we're in all the other continents. <laughs> so, uh, so what can interested people do? The main thing is talk about their compassion. Don't hide it. Be vegan. Set the, you know, set the example before others. Tell people why you aren't, aren't eating meat or wearing uh, animal clothing. Explain it. Don't be afraid. Don't be arrogant about it, but be polite, be friendly, but let people understand where you're coming from. And don't participate in the things that promote animal cruelty. If we look at the problems we have today, the vast majority of grains that we produce go to fatten animals. And the efficiency by calorie for calorie if we took the grain and fed it to humans, we'd feed anywhere from 3 to 15 times as many people. We would not have any hunger in this world. The uh, UN Agriculture Committee came out and said that 18% of all greenhouse gases are coming from animal agriculture. 
So if we take a look at, and that's mostly methane, which is 20-some times more toxic than carbon dioxide, if we take this and we're saying, okay, if we're vegan, we're not only being compassionate to the animals, we're being compassionate to other people because we're now being able to feed more people if, and we're protecting the environment in which we all live. So it just ties together. And if we really want to make a difference in this world, it's not changing the light bulb to one of these fluorescents from an incandescent. You know, that's like taking an eyedropper to bail the ocean out. When we stop eating animals, we are making a tremendous difference in this world. This is a point that many environmentalists just don't want to discuss, and that, that is the damage that factory farming does to our planet. Yeah. Frank food, is, food is the, by far. I mean, we're killing around the world every year 50 billion land animals, 10 what? billion in this country alone. And that's not counting the, the billions upon billions upon billions of sea creatures that are being killed. It's absolutely innumerable. You can't even count the number of animals that are being killed in the sea. Does factory farming violate Christian principles? Absolutely. You're torturing an animal for money. And there's no question that it's torture. So how can a religious person justify this? They, well, that's the point. They shouldn't be justifying it. Right. And yet there's churches that hold turkey dinners. Today we probably minister to about a million people around the world, mm. most of whom are unchurched which is a very interesting thing to understand because they get so hurt because they get ridiculed and made fun of in the churches that they leave the church. They just won't stay there, but they're still religious. It's because of the hardness of heart they see. You're never supposed to be to belittle somebody because they don't eat an animal, and yet that's what's happening. And I know more people who have left religion because of the lack of compassion, because of the hardness of heart they've encountered than for any other reason at all. It rarely has its foundation as I just don't believe. I, what the answer is, I just can't believe the way these people act. And that's really the where it's coming down to. I can't associate what I thought God was like with the cruelty and the indifference and the injustice and everything that's going on in the religious community. And it's what they're doing is they're, they're in essence, blaming God for the human Frailty, indifference, injustice, and cruelty. Outright cruelty. When it's our doing. Yes, when it's our doing. Uh, they have empathy for humans, but not for animals. Yeah. They lack empathy for, for animals. Yeah. We, we take a look at our society, the parents. What are they doing? They have empathy for their child. They have empathy for their dog or cat, but not for the other animals. If somebody is truly compassionate, uh, we wouldn't torture and kill the animals. We would realize how wrong it is. Frank, what does the Bible say about sport hunting? Uh, just remember the term sport is saying that you take pleasure in. Right. And you're not supposed to take pleasure in the suffering of any other living being. And to teach their children it's okay that you can be entertained and get enjoyment out of going out and looking a deer in the face and killing that, that animal. That's correct. And that, see, comes from hardening the heart. They lose their empathy. Frank Hoffman, thank you so much for being with us on Animals Today. Frank's website, which is a must to check out, is www.all-creatures.org. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Love to come back. Uh, next, how to keep your pets safe during the holiday season. You're listening to Animals Today. Animals Today.
Hi, it's Dr. Lori from Animals Today Radio, and here's your Animals Today fun fact for today. Do you ever wonder why your cat bumps their head against you? Well, that unexpected butting of her head is known as head bunting, and this is your kitty's way of bonding with you. She is identifying you as one of her friends, and head bunting is her way of sharing her love and affection. And this is your Animals Today fun fact for today. Scientific discoveries that could help people with insomnia have evolved. Sarah Luce has more. Experts have found that there are two systems in the brain that govern wake and sleep. The wake system signals the brain into an alert state to keep you awake during the day. The sleep system sends signals to help you fall and stay asleep at night. When the two systems function normally, they take turns sending signals at the right times. But that's not always the case for some people. Dr. Prakash Masand, CEO of Global Medical Education, has more. When insomnia occurs, the brain is trapped between wake and sleep. If the wake signals in the brain do not slow down at night, you stay in an alert state and your sleep system may not be able to take over. This may help explain why some people aren't getting as much sleep as they want. To learn more, visit whyamisoawake.com. I'm Sarah Luce, and this report is brought to you by Merck. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. A monkey, an animal rights organization, and a primatologist walk into a federal court to sue for infringement of the monkey's claimed copyright. Sounds like a joke, right? But it's actually a line from a real court document filed by a lawyer for a photographer who was sued last year by the group People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. To make a long story short, a monkey in Indonesia took a picture of himself using a camera that a nature photographer had left unattended. It was hilarious, and the monkey's selfie went viral. Unfortunately, that's when the real monkey business started, and PETA sued the photographer. It claimed that the monkey, not him, should get any money generated by the photo. Let's be fair. I know our legal system sometimes seems like it's gone bananas, but I'm happy to say that a federal judge has just issued a tentative ruling upholding common sense. He says that a monkey can't own a copyright. PETA, however, pledges to keep fighting. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. season is upon us and keeping our furry family members safe during the holidays can be a difficult task. Veterinarian Dr. Robert Reed is here to tell us what preventative measures we need to take to protect our companion animals this holiday season. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Reed. Hi, Lori. Robert, there are many articles that talk about the hazards to pets during the holiday season. Do you see more pet incidents this time of year? Certainly, we see a lot more pet, unexpected pet incidents, you know, things that come up because of all the activity and the changes that occur in the household because of the holidays. So tell us what we need to be aware of. Regarding the Christmas tree, there are a lot of things associated with the tree and the gifts around the tree that can present hazards, both for cats and dogs. The ornaments, of course, you mentioned, uh, obviously, sometimes can be glass. Plenty of people put tinsel or ribbons on their trees, and broken glass can be a hazard for a cat or a dog, either through contact or, in some cases, dogs even chew on them. Uh, But for cats, the bigger risk is really the tinsel or any kind of string-like decoration that they might want to chew on. 
play with, or even swallow because it can create obstructions in their digestive tract. Electrical cords that uh, attach the trees to the outlets, of course, uh, and to the lights themselves. Uh, the water that you put in the tree that sits there and soaks up uh, a little bit of the uh, oils from the tree itself can grow bacteria. There may be some fertilizers in it. But a few other things, you know, to think about are like batteries or gifts that might be placed under the tree that contain things that you don't know about that may become evident to a dog, particularly those that contain food. So if there's one pearl of wisdom I can offer you in protecting your pets from tree-related risks, it's to make sure that if you receive a gift from someone that's wrapped but you think might have food in it, don't put it under the tree. Yeah. Because dogs are very good at sniffing those out. And how about food hazards? Um, food hazards are probably the most common types of problems we encounter, particularly with dogs. The most problematic one is chocolate, and we'll get back to that in a second. Okay. But there are other things that you may not think about, like bread dough, which is um, uh, more prevalent around the holidays and certainly can present problems for dogs, both as a choking hazard and, interestingly, as a potential for alcohol poisoning as it ferments, gets into the system. But, you know, any food that has a uh, high fat content or something that a dog is not used to eating can cause a lot of irritation to the stomach or the intestinal tract. And, you know, more significantly, it particularly it has a lot of fat in it, can overstimulate the pancreas and create pancreatitis, which can be a progressive condition if not treated, even to the point of becoming life-threatening. That we worry a lot about those dietary indiscretions. They're easily the most common cause of a medical problem related to the hot, to the holidays. But chocolate definitely is the big one. That is the thing that we see most often around the holidays. And um, there's a few things that people may want to remember about chocolate that can be helpful. Dark chocolate is about twice as toxic as milk chocolate. The really serious ones are baker's chocolate which is about eight times as toxic as milk, to- milk chocolate, and um, cocoa powder, which is about 10 times as uh, toxic as milk chocolate. The, the toxic component is theobromine, and there's a little bit of caffeine in it. So the problems that you would see if a dog ingests too much chocolate is usually a little hyperactivity initially, um, but sometimes depression, um, very often a racing heart, sometimes vomiting, very often diarrhea. And if the dose is high enough, it can actually be fatal. So I always recommend that if you think your dog has ingested chocolate, that you talk to someone about it. And I I have a number for a poisoning control line that can be helpful. Uh, But always talk to someone about it. Have an idea about how much chocolate the dog or cat, it's usually a dog, has eaten, uh, what kind of chocolate it is, or what kind of mix of chocolates may be in it so that you can get an idea of actually the amount of toxic component that a dog has eaten to tell you whether their dog is going to have a significant problem and how urgently you need to address it. Now, I know a lot of people give their dogs bones during the holidays, chicken bones, turkey bones. This this can't be healthy or good for the animals, right? Well, I think that's true. And there's, there's one you know, watchword that I, I, I like to follow with feeding a dog during the holidays. There's a lot of stuff going on in households that creates stress for dogs and cats. They have, you know, strange people in the house, 
changes in schedule, distracted owners. There's a lot going on that create anxiety for pets. The last thing you want to do is introduce new foods into their life that they have to deal with. At any point, a dog or cat is going to have a hard time adjusting their digestive tract to a new food, but particularly when there are other anxieties, other stressors in the household that are causing them problems already. You know, if there's one thing that you can do just to protect your household overall, and that that's to try to provide your, your pets a refuge from all of the anxiety, all of the activity and excitement that's going on. Not every dog and most cats are not happy about having all these people and all of these things going on at once. So it's helpful to give them a zone that they can go to and be away from all that. And it also helps keep your guests from giving them food that you're not aware of. It makes it easier for you to keep track of where they are so you're not worried about them getting out of the house or getting into an area that they're not supposed to be in or getting into foods or decorations that you don't want them getting into. That's really great advice, and it's probably important to keep our pets eating and exercise habits as close to their normal routine as possible, right? I would agree with that completely. Yeah, do as much as you can to protect their routine because there are plenty of forces working against you on that, <laughs> trying to disrupt the routine. Just do everything you can to keep it consistent. Dr. Reed, talk briefly about toxic holiday plants. That's a good question to bring up, Lori. There are a few plants that we tend to associate with the holidays, poinsettia, mistletoe, and holly. All three of those have toxic components if they ingest them, and that's usually going to be a dog. Cats will chew on them, and they'll get some vomiting from the irritation, but generally nothing more serious than that. The one plant that everyone who has cats should be aware of is lilies. Occasionally, flower arrangements will have lilies in them, and every component of the lily plant is toxic to cats, mm. but not to dogs. So any time you have lilies in the house, make sure they're kept in an area where your cat is not going to be able to get to them. Hey, Laura, there's a couple of more tips I want to offer for people on the holidays. Um, two things to remember that you might encounter. Those little silica gel packets that come in, th- in, in uh, boxes to keep the contents dry. Yeah. They have a little label that says, do not eat. They're not that toxic. Probably one of the most common reasons people call the poison control hotline is for that, and they're not that bad. And the other thing is those glow-in-the-dark ornaments or glow sticks If a dog or a cat bites into them, they may act like it really, really bothers them because it tastes really bad, but it's not very toxic. And Dr. Ree, what is the poison control hotline number, please? The ASPCA poison control hotline is 888-426-4435. Okay, I'm going to repeat that number again so people can write it down and hang it up on the refrigerator if they need it in an emergency, 888-426-4435. Thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Animals.